0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another interview here at Marketing Management and Money. Uh, we have the pleasure of having Dr. Deborah Fryer with us. Uh, she is the author and uh, creator of The Anatomy of Money. Uh, she also does a lot of mindset training for entrepreneurs, and so kind of kind of an interesting different take uh, on how to really get uh, into the correct mindset for your business. So, Deborah, if you don't mind, uh, give us a little bit of an overview of you personally. And and your business and some of the things, uh, some of the things that you have.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for inviting me to speak about marketing and money and mindset because they are all so intimately interconnected. My path was a circuitous one, as I know many entrepreneurs' path is. And that was that I first started as a documentary filmmaker. And I loved making films about climate change, about health and the environment. And I always felt like a little bit of an imposter because. I made films about hardcore science, and I have a PhD in comparative literature. So I felt like I'm really out of my element here, (laughs) talking about physics and chemistry and all that stuff. So I thought, well, I better go back to medical school and become a real doctor. Like I was so uh, bent on disqualifying myself. I thought I I better go get a real paycheck, get real respect, really have a real business. As a freelance filmmaker, I really felt like I'm not a real business person. I'm doing what I love but I don't know how to make money. And there was this divide, this unspoken divide between you can do what you love and you can, you know, be soul aligned. You can feel personally fulfilled or You can work really hard and hate your job and make money. And does that ring a bell for you?
0: Oh, me and so many people that I've talked to, and you know, I'm I'm just I'm hearing this, and I'm like, oh yeah, I think everyone to some degree feels like an imposter. You know, the whole fake it till you make it concept. Totally. Yeah.
1: Right. And I felt like, well, I can't really make money being a filmmaker and being a yoga teacher, so I better go and become a real doctor. So I had this idea: I better go and be a real doctor. The silly thing is that. And the crazy thing is that all of my training is in writing, is in art history, it's in music, it's in art, it's in yoga. And none of it was in science. So I had to go back can get a post baccalaureate pre-medical degree. So I did that in my forties. I went back to school with kids half my age wow. and I'm to, have to be their mother. And I'm taking physiology and anatomy and organic chemistry and chemistry and biology. And I worked in an anatomy lab for two years and it was just the coolest thing ever getting into the body. And I'm on my way to medical school. I'm, I'm, I've applied, I have an interview coming up and we had a flood in our town. And this room that I'm in right now was flooded. It had to be gutted down to the foundation, the studs, the drywall, everything went away. Overnight, I found myself and me and my husband, we found ourselves $50,000 in debt because the room was destroyed and I was spending money to do the post-baccalaureate, pre-med degree so I could go to medical school. And then a couple of weeks later, my dad dropped out of a heart attack. He just fell off his chair and that was the end. And that was devastating. And the next day, it was my job to go into the anatomy lab and remove the heart from the cadaver for the students the (sighs) day after my dad had died of a heart attack. And it was in that moment of me holding the heart in my hands, which was the most painful thing and the most mind-blowing thing I've ever done, my own heart literally cracked open. And I realized this is what the heart does. It's constantly... Filling and emptying, opening and closing. It's giving and receiving. It's open for business. It's resting. Uh, and I had never run my business like that. I ran my business working sometimes 24 7 for pro bono clients. So I was skimping on sleep. They were pro bono clients because I so believed in their mission, but I didn't want them to pay me because I felt so privileged. You know, who am I to be? charging you money when we're making films about, you know, people who are living at the poverty line. Uh-huh. I, have a, I have a house, I have a roof over my head. I felt so guilty for everything that I have. So I felt like I shouldn't charge people. And i have really been operating my business totally against the laws of nature, okay. which are that you get to give and you receive, you give and you receive, you work hard and you rest, you do a lot of work and you receive payment for it. i didn't operate according to those laws. And it was so devastating the amount of loss that I had experienced in such a short amount of time. And I remember walking out of the anatomy lab on that day and looking at the trees. It was a beautiful October day in Colorado and the sky was this gorgeous blue and the aspens had turned from green to gold. Uh And I remember looking at the trees and physically saying to them, how do you do this? How do you transform so beautifully, so majestically with so much ah, I mean, people come from around the world to admire you basically letting go of something you don't need anymore. Like, why can't I do that? And the trees just said, watch us, we'll teach you. And I really took that to heart. And I did the Persephone thing for the next six months. I went underground. I did no business. I did no marketing for my business. I took no clients. I still had my filmmaking business, right? Because I hadn't started medical school yet. And Six months passed, the first crocus came up and the phone rang and it was an old film client. And I had just been doing my inner work. I had been so deep, 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 deep in my own shadow, doing my own inner work. And this old film client, past film client, not old, but past, uh, called me and said, hey, we have 10x the budget that we had the last time you worked for us. Can you help us spend it? (laughs) Wow. You know what really works. So I said, yes, I'd be happy to meet with you. We went on to do many projects together without me doing any more marketing, without me raising my rates, without me doing anything differently. Well, here's what I was doing that was differently. I was actually charging for the work that I was doing. I didn't uh, raise okay. my rates yet. I was yep. just charging for the work that I was doing. My income increased by 500%. Okay. So then I was like, oh, okay, I think I'm onto something. So I was teaching yoga. I was teaching meditation in a yoga studio in my town and people would come and they would sit and meditate with me and they would have these experiences of, I feel no stress. They'd come in super stressed out. They'd leave feeling, I feel no stress. They'd come in feeling like this is a problem, and that's a problem, and this person's a problem, and that boss is a problem, and I can't this, and that's impossible. And they would walk out feeling, I totally know the solution. Like it was like night and day. And one of them followed me into the parking lot and she said, Deborah, what are you doing? And I, in the beginning, couldn't talk about it because it felt so weird. Because near the twain shall meet. Here's my business over here. Here's my spiritual practice over here. They can't be in the same room at the same time. Right. And so I said, I, I don't know how to talk about it. Uh, you know, like she's having an experience in meditation. She wants to apply it to her business. And so for a while, I said, I'm not doing anything. The third time she asked me, she said, I want you to mentor me. And I said, I don't have any clients. And I don't do that. I'm still a filmmaker. I'm on my uh-huh. way to medical. And I don't have any clients. And she said now you do. I'm your first client. And that's literally how it started <laughs> with somebody who was a business owner, seeing me do the inner work and everything changed outside of me. So that's really how it started was me starting to teach some of the internal practices that will result in a massive increase in your confidence, a massive increase in your income, because if you're confident to charge, uh-huh. you will be making more money, uh, a massive increase in relationships, because you know, there's this whole committee inside your head that are arguing with each other. And if you can't get them to all agree upon something and move forward with a unified front, you will be going in multiple directions and get no traction.
0: So, oh my goodness, so many things that we can talk about. And I love the introduction because I love holistic entrepreneurship. I, I, I think the first time that this really hit me hard was I was consulting a business. She owned a floral shop and And I was talking to this lady, and she's like, "I need help selling, and I don't even know how to do it. Uh, I kind of fell into this floral shop she she started working in in this uh you know, in this floral shop, and the owner was just done, and so she sort of kind of not quite inherited. I mean there was an actual transaction that that took place, but it was very very informal kind of transaction. And now all of a sudden she's the owner of this floral shop and she's like, I just want out. And so I sit down with her and I'm talking to her about, okay, well, you know, let's, let's value your business. Let's figure out what it's worth and everything. And, and she stops me and she's like, I just want out. And she literally only wanted to charge enough to pay off her debts. And I, it, it broke my heart because I'm like, you have spent the last decade building this it has value and people appreciate this value but she wouldn't value herself and, and and so she literally just wanted to sell it for the debt that she had in the business and 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 I see this type of entrepreneurship happen too often where people they they don't value themselves or they have unrealistic expectations they can't align and so as you're talking about all these things I'm thinking to myself I'm like who, this is going to be a good conversation. So, I th- this is what I'd like to jump into if we could. A lot of times when you talk to people about blending the spiritual and aligning and different things like that, they they start to get a little bit wigged out and they're just like, "Oh, I'm not into that kind of stuff." And I wish people understood that it's not it's not a question of whether you're into it or not. It's life, you know, and and if you're alive, then you're part of it, you know. And so uh, so can you talk a little bit about just kind of the initial mindset what are some of the first hurdles that people need to get past so that they can have more more success I, you know I, I use the term success but you know there are multiple ways to explain it but how how can you get more success out of your business not more money per se Although that's a, a part of success, you know, but I've seen a lot of people that they're filthy rich and completely miserable. So, you know, how how do we make sure that the package is complete? And uh, what are the first steps here?
1: I really love that question, because this is one of the questions that I was asked in an interview for medical school. Okay. What is your definition of success? Uh-huh. And what they wanted was, you know, is it my cure rate? Is it my my ability to diagnose effectively, et cetera? And I said, I believe that my definition of success is for me to be uh, in control of my emotional universe. My definition of success is really, how am I able to navigate this thing that we call life? How am I able to Walk my own spark of divinity into the world without reacting to: Are they going to like me? Are they going to be mad at me? Am I going to disappoint them? Where I get really distracted and scattered, and and I begin unconsciously devaluing me because my success is now dependent on their definition of success. No, my definition of success is how well am I doing being my most authentic, self-expressed version of me. Uh-huh. And I also, uh, they asked me in a slightly different way. And they said, well, what do you think is the most successful thing in terms of a client's, a patient's outcome? Mm -hmm. What is the most successful indicator of a patient's outcome? Mm -hmm. And I said, I believe it's the story that we tell ourselves. And this is where it starts. Because if we walk around with an identity of it's never gonna work for me. I'm never gonna make any money. Making money's really, really, really hard. You have to sacrifice everything to make money. My dad made a lot of money and it killed him, so I don't wanna make money because it's gonna kill me. We're walking around with these subconscious messages that are broadcasting 60,000 times a day in our nervous systems and sending our nervous system into fight or flight or freezing and making it very, very, very challenging for us with our conscious mind to take action. <sighs> So I think that the story that we tell ourselves has everything to do with how successful we feel we are. And my belief is that everything that is happening is happening to us because of us. It's happening for us because of us. Nothing's happening to me in the sense that I'm a victim, something is showing up in my awareness. So I have the perception it's happening to me, but it's happening for me, for my growth. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, so I'm in Colorado, you're in Utah and, you know, we live in mountainous states where people love to ski. If you want to get really good at skiing, you're probably going to start on the green because it's not so steep. Right. And you're going to feel like you're in more control, but at a certain point, you're going to get bored with having that level of control and you want something a little bit harder. So you're going to graduate to the blue runs and Uh now they're a little steeper. And then you're going to feel like, well, I got that mastered. So now I'm going to look for some blue runs with bumps and then you're going to get good in the bumps. And then you're going to feel like, well, I want to do some black diamond runs Uh and everything in our experience is like a giant obstacle course. My understanding is that being an entrepreneur, It's like there's a giant obstacle course where I'm going to get stronger, I'm going to get more flexible, I'm going to get more resourceful, my skills are going to get honed, my sense of who I am is going to get honed, my humility is going to get honed, my ability to recognize I don't know everything, which is awesome, because I'm a lifelong learner and that means I get to learn something new, that gets honed, my awareness that I don't have to know everything that gets honed. Thank goodness. I don't have to know everything because I know so little. And as an entrepreneur, I love learning. So the fact that I don't know means I get to do what I love, which is learning, right? Like there are all these things out here in the, in the um, kind of abstract non-physical realm that I haven't learned to do yet. Like how do I have an enrollment conversations? I've never had one before. How do I ask for money? I've never been paid before. How do I establish myself as an authority? I never felt like an authority in my family of origin. I felt like the black sheep. I felt like I didn't count. Now I'm supposed to be the authority. Mm-hmm. I don't know everything, et cetera. And so we get to encounter these parts of ourselves. And, and, and the tr- truth of who we are is that if you're an entrepreneur listening to this right now, you have a goal of seeing yourself in a particular way. You wanna help people, you wanna contribute in a meaningful way, you wanna help create the future that you wanna be a part of. And one of the byproducts of that, which is a super fun byproduct, is that you get paid to be in your zone of genius. How awesome is that? And when you allow yourself to be paid for being in your zone of genius, because you allow yourself to recognize, you know what, I am really smart in this one thing. Mm really experienced in this one thing and I can help people. I don't know everything, but I know this one thing. When you allow yourself to take a stand for you in that way, the byproduct is you get paid for it. And that's super fun because now you have money, but the money part is the caboose on the train. Mm -hmm.
0: So, okay. But I want, I want you to help kind of put this into a little bit of context because I've worked with entrepreneurs that sometimes they go out there and I call it, you know, like a professional hobbyist. Oh. And, and there are two things. One, like they have gonna, a side my,
1: hustle?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, the first thing that I'm going to talk about is, first off, if you have something that you're passionate about, you don't always have to convert it to money. There are things that I love doing and just keeping them as a passion and not mixing in the money is a very healthy way to go. And so I get frustrated when I see entrepreneurs take every love and passion that they have and and try and monetize it. I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, there needs to be some boundaries there. You need to say, hey, look, this is a good entrepreneur idea. This is a good opportunity versus this is just something that I do for other reasons, whether it's my own personal love, whether it's to give to others, you know, whatever the case may be. But the other thing, and this is what what I'd like you to kind of clarify, is I've worked with entrepreneurs that they love what they're doing. And, you know, maybe they're working on like some soft monies, you know, maybe they've got, uh, you know, investment group or received a grant or something like that. And they're not cash flow positive, and they're working on these soft monies, and they're they're loving it. They're having a blast. They're like, "Oh my gosh, this is you know we're 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 really excited about this." but the numbers aren't making sense. And so you got you've you got these two camps. You know, camp 1 is everyone that's just like live your passion and the, you know, the money will follow and camp 2 is like no, follow the financial statements. Make sure, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. And, and I feel like both camps have truth and both camps have misguided ideas. And so can you, can you put a, a little bit of context around this and help this situation? Cause it comes up a lot with entrepreneurs and whether they're startups or whether they're looking at, at launching a new you know division or a new product, or, you know, like it usually happens when they're kind of in this growth mode. I
1: love that camp one, camp two. And. I, and my, where my, my mind immediately went was to Everest, right? Where there's base camp and then you go to camp one and then you go to camp two.
0: Oh, have you hiked Everest?
1: I have not. I've done Kilimanjaro, but I haven't done done Kilimanjaro.
0: Oh, I actually think I would prefer (laughs) Kilimanjaro over Everest, but
1: uh, yeah. Kilimanjaro is a walk-up. It's not, it's not technical. So uh,
0: it's,
1: it's so amazing. So let's use mountain climbing as an example. So most people, when they think about climbing a mountain, If they knew what is really involved, they'd be like, "No way! I'm gonna stay home in my warm, cozy bed." Because (laughs) what's involved is you're not gonna get a hot shower for many days. You're Uh gonna have blisters that might be bleeding. You're gonna be really low on oxygen because you're gonna get well over twenty thousand feet. Mm -hmm. Um, You are not gonna get a proper bath. You're gonna be really tired. Um, You're gonna be hiking in the middle of the night in the dark with a headlamp. There's a certain risk. You could fall off the mountain. You could die. Uh You know you know, there are certain risks that you take. And when you're the kind of person that likes to hike mountains, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. It's kind of like that obstacle course thing that I was telling you, right? Yeah. Like, like if you really have a growth mindset, you love the challenge of discovering that you are more capable. You're more able to slow down than you thought you were. When I climbed Kilimanjaro and we started getting up, you know, above tree line where the oxygen gets really thin, the guides say this to you. And this is actually great entrepreneurial advice. I used to have this taped to my old computer. I don't right now, but thanks for the reminder. (laughs) So he would say pole pole, which means slowly, slowly, you're forced to slow down when you're hiking at altitude and you're forced to slow down. When you're an entrepreneur, so let's talk about that knife edge of, whew, I have the idea, and I don't have the money. Yeah, and it's a both and. Here's why. You're, and I'm going to give you the neurological, the psychological, you know, scientific reason why, the neuroscientific oh, reason why.
0: Love okay? it, love it.
1: So, uh, uh, one part of your brain, what we know is your conscious brain, is the part of you that's very analytical. It loves problem solving it's the spreadsheet loving data oriented quantifying part of you that loves to see results this accounts for one to four maybe five percent of your consciousness okay one to four or five percent in other words your conscious mind that says look at the numbers here's what we have here's here's you know how much we have in the bank here's what our return is you're looking at the past Mm -hmm. you cannot predict the future by looking at the past if you want to use your conscious mind you're going to do much better if you start projecting into the future and you just start projecting and seeing the vision of what's going to happen if i do this this happens if i do this this happens if i enroll you know this number of people if our sas product goes for this amount if we have uh you know, if we bring a on 100 enterprise, whatever, you know, when you start projecting, right. yeah. you're able to see better where you're going. You cannot see if you're looking into the archives of the past where you're going. Why? Because your conscious mind only can see what it has already experienced. That's how your conscious mind works. Sure, your conscious mind looks into the memory banks and it says, well, I know this, I've learned this, I've done this. You know, if the most I've ever made is a million, how am I ever going to get to 10? You're going to have to bring on board your subconscious mind. Now, this is technically uh, it's scientists say it's, you know, 95, 96 to 99%. So it's way, way, way more powerful than the conscious part of you. And most of us have been conditioned to look for proof outside of ourselves. We look for proof of what has already been done Uh to prove that that is going to work. And there's definitely a school in software development that looks at that, right? And then you can look at a Steve Jobs, who's like, no, we're going to create the product. The market doesn't know if they need the product. We're going to create the product. And then they're going to realize they need it. He was all about idea and inspiration. Uh And when you access that part of you that is connected to the all that is, you activate more association areas of your brain. So all of a sudden, all kinds of different associations start happening and you start coming up with ideas that seem impossible or they've never been done before. And this is when self-doubt creeps in because you have this idea of I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I've never done it before. Will I be able to? Self-doubt comes in because your conscious mind doesn't have a reference point. So it's really a both and. And I work with clients that are in exactly the same boat where they're like, I don't have the money. And my response is, do you see yourself as capable of generating the money? Uh-huh. Do you hold yourself as someone who is resourceful? Do you see yourself as someone contributing immense value to the marketplace? Because the money shows up as a byproduct of you putting your value into the marketplace, whether it's your good or your product or your service. It actually starts with you putting you into the marketplace.
0: So, okay. Love this. And at this point, I want to make sure that people that are listening, if they're like, oh my gosh, this is what I need. So, how does someone get a hold of you, and where would they start? Because and we're going to keep talking about this. I've got some other questions that I want to ask you, but I want to make sure that anyone listening can can contact you, that they they can connect with you. Uh, so share share that with us for the commercial break for just a second. Share with us how do you, how does someone get a hold of you? Where do they start? And then I've got some follow-up questions with what you've said.
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking that. So if you're hearing this conversation and you're loving this conversation, and if you're the type of person who feels like you're an imposter, you find yourself always putting yourself last. You find yourself saying, I'll do that when I have the money. I'll do that when I have the time. You're putting money in front and you follow. You're putting time in front and you follow. If you're somebody who struggles with receiving, you're the last to receive, you're the last to be paid, you're the last to value yourself, even though other people do, then I have... A number of ways for you to connect with me. The very simplest way is for you to just Google me and I'm very findable online. I have a very public presence and you can just send me an email and I will personally get on the phone with you and have a 15, 20 minute chat with you about your money mindset and how I can help you with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd also love to invite you to join. I have a free Facebook group if you are in uh, the social media world. It's called the Anatomy of Money Academy. And this is where every single week I go live and we start to peel apart some of these layers uh, that are blocking us from really having the mental and emotional and financial breakthroughs that we want. And if you really want to dive deep, uh, then I have some courses and programs that we can talk about. But I think those are the best starting points. Just get on the phone and have a conversation with me about how I can help you really break through the mental walls that are limiting you from excelling at the next level emotionally in terms of your time in terms of your relationship and not being a slave to money
0: yeah no i i love how approachable you are and i knew that you were so i i wanted to make sure and throw that out there so that people understood okay here's what i'm wondering i work with a lot of entrepreneurs that set goals and i think uh, well, my experience has been that goal setting is one of the most misguided practices in entrepreneurship. Uh, first off, they're they're fairly arbitrary. They're based on, and this is this is where I would like you to talk because you made the comment. You said that you know you bring value to the market, and you know the byproduct is the money. Uh, I think that people are flip flopped. I think that they chase the money and i think that when they when they set these goals most of the time it's an external force that is pressuring them to grab some random number and, and say that 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 is what they have to go after and 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 if they hit this this random number then all of a sudden they'll be happy and their woes will go away and you know and I'm like no I, i've worked with startups i've worked with mid-size i've worked with large companies guess what they all have challenges they all have problems none of it goes away it does change form and function but none of it goes away and, and so how can how can you advise someone who is you know if they're very goal-set minded, and they're like, okay, this is what we're going, it's almost militaristic, where it's just like, okay, we have an objective troops, let's go in, let's get it done, you know, and how, how do you make that a healthier approach, a more effective approach?
1: It's such a great question. I agree with you that goals are very misleading. And there's so many ways to answer this. So the first thing that popped into my mind is I have a history of running marathons. And when you're training for a marathon, it's really not about the marathon. It's about you becoming the kind of person who's going to complete a marathon. It's about you becoming the kind of person who's gonna climb Everest or who's gonna climb Kilimanjaro. So it's really about the identity of who are you right now. And when you're deciding I'm gonna run a marathon, if my marathon is six months from now, I need to decide now that I am a marathoner and I need to act like that. I need to nourish myself like that. I need to drink water like that. I need to get recovery like that. I need to get sleep like that. I need to do interval trainings like that. I need to be her now. And this is how we collapse time. And I think, again, this is something people have backwards. Here's my goal. And here's the timeline. And It's very misguided to wait until this happens for you to take this action. Uh It's the same thing as, right? Oh, I'll, I'll do it when I have the money. You're unconsciously telling yourself, I don't have the money now. And guess what that creates? A moment from now, I still don't have the money. A week from now, I don't have the money. A month from now, I don't have the money. And it is heartbreaking. And I see this over and over and over with clients who are operating from this mindset of, I'll do it when. The only time anything happens ever is now Mm -hmm. nothing happens in the future. The future is this now moment, which becomes the next now moment, which becomes the next now moment. The only time in space you have any power to change anything is now. So when you change you Now, your future will be different because of a decision you're making about who you are, who you're serving, how you're showing up, what you're valuing, what you're prioritizing now. Mm -hmm. It's way simpler than people make it out to be.
0: See, and I love that because... I'll sit around and people will have, you know, like we're, we're, we're still at the first of the year. We're about the time of the year where people are dropping their new year's resolutions and feeling, feeling guilty about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and, 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 and I see all these people and, and yeah, it's like, if you want to be something, be that something today, be that something now own it for what it is. And, and so for me, I, I have this weird habit of uh, I actually like to set goals in December. Because I like to not uh, not tell myself that I can only do something when the calendar tells me I can do something. I'm like, no, 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 I can do it whenever I feel like doing it. And 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 so uh, as as I as I set these goals and try and learn new skills, and then I look at it, I'm like, okay, where am I now? Where have I been? And I, and I like to I like to look at that and I like to enjoy and I like to celebrate a little bit. And that's going to be my my next question or the next thing that I'd like you to talk about is. I see a lot of people that they never appreciate where they are. They never appreciate where they, where they are coming from. They, they never appreciate that there's been huge growth. Um, you know, I, I, talk to that, you know, how, 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 do we, how do we enjoy the now without beating ourselves up without feeling like a constant failure, regardless of the success that we've had. I mean, I was working with a business that they they had like 20 or 30% sales growth. And the first thing that they did is they turned around and they just upped the ante on their new sales goal. And I'm like, hey, enjoy, like go out to lunch and at least appreciate that you guys had a successful year. And, you know, and it just doesn't happen. It's always I gotta have more, gotta have more. Like somehow more is gonna make me happy or satisfied or, or whatever the case may be.
1: It's such a great question I have this similar conversation over here on my side with my clients where you know on Friday I always say what are you celebrating and so i'll I'll tell you the neuroscience example of what's going on and uh, why it's such a problem so neuro from a neuro perspective whenever we're focusing on what we are going for we start um telling our brain, give me a hit of dopamine, give me a hit of dopamine, the chemical of reward and pleasure. So if I'm planning a vacation, you know, there's research that shows I feel better planning a vacation than I do being on vacation. Because once I'm being on vacation, I'm already in a place of, oh my God, I only have this many days and then I have to go home. And when you're constantly going from like, I'm not here and I'm not here and I'm not here, I'm not here. You're never either place. You're not in the future because the future hasn't happened yet. And you're not in the now moment because you're living in the future. So you end up constantly chasing and feeling like, like I'm never getting anywhere. The reason you're never getting anywhere is because you you have an addiction to the molecule of more, which is dopamine, right? Uh-huh. I want more money. I want more power. I want more da. whatever it is that you want more of. Why do you want that thing? So I do this seven-part exercise with my clients when they say I want, let's say I want more money, I'll say, Why do you want that? Well, I want to be able to pay off all my bills and I want to be able to go on vacation. Well, why do you want that? Well, I want to be able to feel like I'm being responsible. Oh, you want to feel like you're being responsible. And you know, when you keep digging, well, why do you want that? Well, because you know, ever since I was two years old, I've been responsible for my mom. I'm the oldest sibling and my dad left. And, and then they, and then you start realizing, oh my gosh, you just want to stop being responsible for others people like go straight there Uh rather than using your business to affirm all this stuff that you don't want go straight to the thing that you do want and do the inner work so that you can have the freedom that you want when we're in the place of now we're operating different brain chemistry we're operating brain chemistry that's more like the serotonin molecule that just lets me feel I'm okay right now. Mm -hmm. I'm okay right now. I'm okay right now. And I'm still okay right now. And it's so unfamiliar and our conditioning to be okay with ourselves. Our media is constantly bombarding us with, you need another watch, you need another diamond, you need a bigger diamond, you need a bigger house, you need a bigger paycheck, you need a bigger whatever, whatever. Hey, yeah. And it it just robs us of the feeling of I'm okay right now. And when you stop and you celebrate, you're pressing pause on that dopamine shower, that's constantly making you chase things. And if you're constantly chasing something, you never get to relax. So we literally have to train our nervous systems to relax by implementing celebration multiple times a day. Every time you send that email, celebrate it every time you drink water celebrate it
0: okay what does that mean because i mean i'm picturing over here i'm just like Woohoo! you know like
1: that sometimes that's a good antidote to beating you up you know your nervous system all of our nervous systems are wired for what's called a negativity bias where we're looking for what's wrong okay we're all wired to look for what's wrong okay we all have it from our family of origin we all have it in the media it doesn't matter what broadcast outlet you're watching. It doesn't matter what newspaper you're reading. somebody's doing something wrong and somebody's doing something right. Right. There is so much division of this is right. And this is wrong.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And we're so conditioned to seeing the world through that lens that filters things out. This is okay. That not okay. This is good. That's bad. This is right. This is wrong. We're so used to that. Uh-huh. We have no idea what it feels like to be completely okay. We don't know what safety feels like in the body. Hmm. What would it feel like if you did? Because this organism that is, you know, we, we call this the body has a whole bunch of systems that are doing different tasks at different times. And they're not In competition with each other. They're all doing their own thing in service of the one known as you. Mm -hmm. And that's what creates health. That's what creates vitality. That's what creates aliveness. That's what creates a feeling of joy and delight. And I'm here in service, is if I'm not constantly in battle inside of my body, inside of my mind, I'm just here in service and joy and delight. I can help so many more people.
0: So, have you had uh, someone who comes to you, and after kind of working through and understanding this, they realize that entrepreneurship is not for them; that maybe they went down the wrong path, and and they want to course correct, and 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 instead of being an entrepreneur, they they want to go just volunteer at the local elementary school, reading kids. I, I, have you have you had these types of experiences?
1: I have. And I think volunteering is a great way for you to recognize that your contribution is valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have clients who start this work and they realize, you know, I really want to work in in a job where somebody else is going to be responsible for my paycheck. I don't want to do it all by myself. And that's totally fine. Entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. Uh, there are people who form collaborations. There are people who realize I've had many, many clients who come to me thinking that they need to make their money in ABC way, the way they've always done it. They're an entrepreneur. They, they have their own business. They make their money, but they're working really, really, really hard. They're feeling resentful. They, they never have enough time to themselves themselves, they're not making enough money. And in the course of this self-exploration, they realize, oh, I want to be teaching this other thing. And they completely pivot, their income doubles, their free time doubles, their digestive issues disappear because they're more in alignment with what it is that they want to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've had people who who totally change their niche, they change their branding, they change their audience. I have people who decide, you know what, I'd just rather go work for a big company. I have, I have one client, um, who works for a startup and she negotiated a rate that is higher than any of the, she's a a woman and she negotiated a salary as a consultant. So she's only working part-time and it is higher than any of the men in the company and well
0: done.
1: (laughs) And that's what she wants to do. And, you know, she's got more time with her kids and, you know, and that works for her and she's actually not loving, um, some of the pieces that are required to be a solopreneur.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, when people come to me and they say, well, I really don't want to be a solopreneur. You know, my mind goes, hire somebody, you know, do the things that are in your zone of genius. You stay there and you do what you love to do and the stuff that you don't love to do, pay somebody to do that. They're going to be in their zone of genius doing whatever, like for me, I don't love tech. So I hire people to do all my technology for me. Mm -hmm. I don't like to do tech. I got the inner tech wired that, The tech of funnels and payments and all that stuff. I mean, it's part of my business. I need to have it set up in order for me to have a sustainable business, but I don't need to know how to do it. I don't need to troubleshoot it when the tech breaks and it will. So I hire somebody. She's in her zone of genius. I'm more than happy to pay her because it frees me up so that I can serve my clients in the way I want to. And more important than that is I don't have to go down the emotional rabbit hole of gloom and doom, which happens if I have to do my own tech. If I have to troubleshoot my tech, I land in the quicksand of suck. I am so like, I just, I cry. I can't think straight. I don't understand it. I get confused. I go straight into overwhelm. And so it is top priority for me to manage my nervous system so that I can be the model of what does it look like when I'm, creative, intuitive, trusting, taking bold, courageous action without hesitation, without apology. I'm having fun creating stuff. I love that. And I don't love getting in the weeds with tech. My team members, they like being paid to do what they love. I like paying them so I don't have to do what I don't love. I mean, it's a win-win. So I'd offer that too. You don't (laughs) have to do everything on your own.
0: That's awesome. And I I was thinking and where the, the original question came from so, you know, I did business consulting for about a decade and I got to a point in my consultations that, you know, like we talked about measuring success. One of my success measurements was how many people I was able to help realize that this was not the path for them and put them on a path that was for them. You know, I mean, I imagine when you were giving the example of mountain, uh, you know, climbing Ma- uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, there are probably some listeners are just like, Ugh that sounds horrible. Why would anyone choose to do that? You know, And there are other people that are just like, oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. I would love to do that. And if I try and put every single person on that path, on that trail and say, okay, everybody, we're all hiking up to the top. You know like that doesn't work. some people they they, they want to stick their toes in the water on the beach and just kind of chill and other people they want to go climb a mountain and other people they you know they they want to create something and so you know as entrepreneurs, just recognizing and I, I, I guess and this is this is kind of uh, you know maybe maybe a final thought that that we can wrap up with. But I'd I'd like you to talk about the ability to be an entrepreneur without owning your own business. Because I think far too few people recognize that they can be creative, that they can contribute at that high level. It it doesn't mean that you have to be the owner of everything in order to contribute. And, And many people love the ability to be creative and let someone else deal with the headache of, you know, managing the day-to-day or dealing with the customer or whatever the case may be. So can can you kind of, you know, maybe, maybe talk about the the idea of entrepreneurship in a, in a broader sense? If I work for that multinational, but I still want to be an entrepreneur, how, how do I achieve that? How do I achieve that realm and, and still be true to myself?
1: It's such a great question. How do I, how do I be true to myself? And so I would ask you, why are you wanting to continue working for the multinational? Are you continuing to work with them because you love the steady paycheck and you don't trust that you can make the steady paycheck yourself, which is an invitation for you to do some internal reflection around how you value you, or yeah. are you working for them because you're really aligned with their mission, you're aligned with their vision, you love the team, you recognize that being part of a team allows you to do more than you can do on your own. Mm-hmm. And you know it's a very personal decision. I always go to what feels the best for you, what feels internally most alive, most relaxed, most joyful for you, because entrepreneurship is a spiritual path uh-huh. and it will require you to upgrade your identity of what you're capable of doing and being and feeling and having every step of the way it it is the obstacle course that you requested to help you discover you're you have more authority than you thought you did you are allowed to have more ease in your life than you thought you were you're allowed to be more collaborative than you thought you're allowed to not know everything you're allowed to ask questions um you're allowed to be a best-selling author you're allowed to write a book and self-publish it and you know and change 50 lives you know there's no in in my opinion There's no more value in writing a New York Times bestseller than there is in you working with a handful of people and changing one part at a time.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making that statement because so many people, we live in this world that if I don't have 3 million likes or 3 million followers, then clearly I'm not doing anything of value. And I'm like, you know, so I have four kids. Hmm. And I look at it and I'm just like, you know what, at the end of the day, there are four people on this planet that I really want to make sure get the best of me. And if I can up that number to five, wow, that, that's like a plus plus status already, you know, <laughs> so I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was so excited when you made that statement of, you know, like you just reach out and don't. Don't be concerned if you're only connecting with a handful of people because you're changing those people. And oh. yeah.
1: and you have no idea if, you know, when I work with clients one-on-one and then that client goes on and shares what that client has learned with their family. And if they're working in an office, if they take it back and they totally change the culture in the office, mm. I've now affected – many many people oh, yeah. right so me just helping one person or let's say I work with somebody who's the head of a nonprofit and all of a sudden the nonprofit it affects all the donors it affects the bottom line it affects the community and you know whatever part of the world they're helping we we really underestimate the influence that we have and you know, I'll go back to the heart and be holding the heart in our hands. My hands is recognizing that I believe being an entrepreneur is about like really communicating heart to heart. It's about the relationship that you're having one person at a time. And if you want to have an empire, if you want to have a eight, nine, 10 figure business, go for it. That's not my jam. That's not something that I aspire to. And, and that's totally fine. I'm still helping thousands of people around the world. And that's, Mm -hmm. No, I feel really good. I
0: lay my head on the pillow at night and I feel really good about that. Yeah. Cool. Kind of got tingles when you were talking there. So thank you. That was awesome. Uh, okay. Let's just, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. But I I, I want to reiterate how, how people connect with you. So the website is Deborahfryer.com. And uh, like you stated, if if anyone wants to to reach out, you're very approachable. Uh, you've got the social media, I assume you know, the the, the standard social media. Uh, and you, you've got your your book here, uh, Best Brain Hacks. Uh, I believe that, uh, that that's something that, uh, that that you offer as well. Uh, so so yeah, um, reach out. Connect with Deborah. Uh, thank you so much for for being with us, for sharing your passion, for sharing your expertise, your journey. Uh, Just just wonderful insight. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me and what a rich conversation.
0: Okay, so you've been listening to Marketing Management and Money, and this is an interview with Deborah Fryer, and uh, we will catch you next time. Take care.